Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you alongside reporters to talk Arizona politics. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, a national political reporter at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. And I'm Ron Hansen. I cover the congressional delegation. As 2018 mercifully comes to an end, here on the Gaggle, we're looking already to what's ahead in 2019. Exactly. And this week is just one of two episodes we'll be doing looking at the year ahead. Um, In this episode, you're going to hear from Felicia Rodolini, the chair of the Arizona Democratic Party, and Jonathan Lines, chairman of the Arizona Republican Party. Felicia is running for a re-election to hold the title of chairwoman of the state Democratic Party. This comes following some pretty big wins on the Democratic side. And some pretty big questions and and recriminations on the Republican Party afterward. They have to figure out where they go from here, and we're all trying to make sense of what it's going to mean for 2020, ultimately. Here's what they had to tell us. My name is Felicia Rodolini. I'm the chair of the Arizona Democratic Party. Felicia, thank you so much for joining us today. You have led the state Democratic Party over the past year, and you are seeking re-election. Why? Because we have had great success in the 2018 cycle. We have elected Kirsten Sinema as the first woman U.S. Senator and the first Democrat in 30 years. We elected Katie Hobbs as Secretary of State. We have a real teacher uh, running this as superintendent of public instruction, running our Department of Education. And we returned Sandra Kennedy to the Corporation Commission. And something that I'm very proud of is that we took four House seats away from the Republicans, and we have more Democrats in the State House than we've had since 1966. And we have five out of the nine congressional districts. So for me, we're going to build on that success. We've created an incredible ground game. We have a network uh, that goes from the Canyonlands to the Borderlands. And it's time to learn uh, from the 2018 cycle and build on that for 2020. So, Felicia, talk about that just a bit. When you look at 2018, you've obviously ticked off the successes that you had. But the party still remains from a numerical disadvantage uh, compared to the Republican Party. It seems like you're still relying a lot on independents to help get you across the finish line and even some Republicans who are disaffected with their party. How much of what happened in 2018 is something that you can expect going forward to build on the Democratic Party brand and a a winning formula? Well, the values that we talked about in 2018 or Arizona values, and they transcend party politics. The appetite for affordable health care and a robust public education system isn't going to change. And it's the Democrats that talked about those issues. We're reaching out to all Arizonans, and the deficit in the number of Democrats registered to vote um, is something we don't spend a lot of time contemplating or thinking about. We think about leadership. We think about uh, candidates who are going to have the same values as the majority of Arizonans. This is the West. This is Arizona. Um, Our younger voters are registering as independents. I think that this split in registration isn't going to go away. 
and it's not something we're focusing on. We're focusing on getting the best candidates elected who have the same values as Arizonans. I'm old enough to remember when the Democratic Party didn't have the bench that it had in 2018. What changed? Well, we have had a lot of great candidates who have been in the state legislature. We have a lot of candidates who felt compelled to run because of the 2016 election and the chaos and the Republican one-party rule. Teachers are fantastic candidates. They can read people. They understand the issues. Um, they care about the future of children, and they have fire in the belly. When I think of 2018, one of the things in Arizona that we will all remember is Red for Ed and the way that people showed up by the tens of thousands to express themselves and their discontent over what had been, you know, systemic neglect or worse in their views. Is that something that is a one-off kind of movement? Is that something that Democrats can reasonably lay claim to in 2020 when the governor has addressed at least superficially, the the pay issue. In other words, uh, do you think that the energy that you all accrued in this will dissipate? Well, we recruited 4,000 new volunteers. Uh, we had 100 field organizers. We actually had close to 10,000 folks who felt so engaged that they would take action for our Democratic candidates. Um, we registered 20,000 new voters, new Democratic voters, and they are now on the permanent early voting list. Um, and so we believe we have been building a sustainable infrastructure um, that is about values and it's about leadership. It's about moving Arizona forward in a different direction. And that's what we're going to build on in 2019. Can you take us into some of these um, closed-door meetings that you may have had with operatives back on the East Coast who, you know, may have been a little wary about Arizona being seen as a potential pickup for Democrats, but um, were willing to maybe invest? What, what, what was your biggest selling point to them as you're looking for money and you're trying to be a, a Tier 1 status financially? Well... No, I'm not going to <laughs> give you any enlightenment from those uh, meetings. But I will tell you that the rest of the country knew Arizona was a swing state and a potential battleground state in 2018 and in 2017. And it was the challenge was convincing Arizonans. And the challenge was convincing Democrats that we are winners and that we have the potential to change the direction of Arizona. Um, with our values and with our candidates. And so that was the most enlightening thing for me, becoming the chair in January of 2018, was recognizing that folks were already coming to us and challenging us and asking how they could help. So without identifying who some of those players might be, can you just tell us, you know, it was enlightening for you, so what was it like to walk into a room and to have so much attention paid to Arizona? Because as you've you, you know this. You've been here for a long time. You ran in 2014. That was not the case back then. Well, we've talked about um, the changing demographics of Arizona uh, voters. We've talked about how they're younger uh, at both ends of the spectrum, um, whether they're retirees or they are um, young students. Um, Red for Ed was certainly compelling 
Um, but again, that was an example of Republicans, Democrats, and independents all coming together in a movement about great public education. And many of those folks saying, I'm going to vote for a straight Democratic ticket because the Republicans are so out of touch. So it's really about um, the fact that we were only, that Hillary only lost by 4% in 2016. And I can tell you as a former candidate in 2010 and 2014 that the, um, the Latino vote, for example, has always been increasing um, in percentage-wise. And we've been seeing a shift um, but it's now here. So if we can all agree that Arizona will be more competitive and, you know, uh, fiercely fought in 2020, what does that mean for 2019? What do you have to do to accomplish what, what it will take to be successful then? It's continuing to have the resources to do the 15 county, the 30 legislative district um, campaign that we started. Uh, it means traveling the state. It means literally talking to the voters out through town halls, through um, engagement, making sure those folks that were fired up in 2018 stay fired up. Um, it's going to take a lot of work. Uh, we're already doing it, and that's going to keep folks engaged. Uh, 2020 is about changing Washington, D.C., accountability um, of the Republican Party and its policies and um, where we are even in our, our tr trillion dollar deficit. We've got big issues to worry about. So one name you have not mentioned yet is President Donald Trump. Uh, is he your best recruiting tool? Well, you know, he came out here to recruit and to uh, support uh, McSally. I'm sure he and the Republican Party thought that that was a smart thing to do. Um, I think that the, our biggest recruiting tool is the Republican policies across the board. Um, and Martha McSally, for example, is a good example of her own conduct um, was in, enraging and engaging to people. This is a woman who did vote to take protections away from 2.8 million Arizonans who had pre-existing conditions, and she, then she lied about it. Um, that is infuriating. And if you care about leadership and how the future of Arizona is going to go, you're going to stay engaged. I think one of the most undercovered stories, with all due respect, uh, from on the Democratic side is the divide and the division within the party, similar to the Republican Party. You have the more progressive wing and the more, you know, centrist wing. How do you unify the party behind um, a message and a candidate and a personality? Well, um, that's the secret sauce. Um, and right now we are just going to see who shows up um, for the primary. It will be a very robust primary. Um, I feel that the best part about being a Democrat is the diversity and the fact that we have so many differences in our opinions. Um, my job is to find common goals, common values, and it's pretty easy. Um, everyone having a great education, everyone having affordable health care, um, everyone having an environment that we can live in, um, having an infrastructure, having um, the kind of economy that's sustainable and brings um, companies to Arizona and creates jobs, living wages, um, companies who will be responsible employers. Um, those are issues that resonate with everyone. And I think that 
any candidate that makes it through the primary will be a better candidate because of the need to find common ground with our progressives, find common ground with the more moderates. Um, and I think that that is the biggest challenge of the party, but it's also one of the greatest um, attributes of the party. We haven't talked so much about the success of uh, Katie Hobbs as Secretary of State. What is the significance of that moving into 2019? Katie Hobbs uh, had a message about every vote counts and about every voter's um, deserves protection. And it was a message that resonated, again, with independents, Republicans, Democrats. And she also resonated competence. Um, she has a great background coming out of the state legislature. She had worked across the aisle. Um, she is a leader who has a track record. And the fact that she's now in a very important role as the Secretary of State, overseeing a variety of things from uh, business operations to elections, is going to be very telling. We think it's a great opportunity for her, but it's also she's one step away from being governor. We are now seeing efforts in Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio. We've seen them in North Carolina in the past. There were at least whispers uh, and mild efforts, I would describe them, in Arizona after the election day passed, um, really challenging election administration and, and going to the integrity of our election process. How much of an issue is that for you as a, a party that seems like it might be threatened by such efforts in the future? Well, voter protection was a big part of the coordinated campaign for us. We uh, invested in a voter protection director, um, several lawyers who were on staff to be able to cure votes after the election. Um, we had an 800 number that started from the primary. Um, you can Im not imagine the kinds of questions that we received. So voter integrity, voter protection is a huge piece for us. Um, I just spent some time with the um, the chairs of the Michigan and the Wisconsin Democratic Party, um, and I've seen their blueprints for how they got to where they got in 2018 with complete Democratic wins up and down the ballot. Um, and voter protection, constituency outreach, um, hiring organizers in the off year early, those are all part of our game plan. Because what we're doing is changing the narrative across the state about what's important. And we're changing the image of what a Democrat looks like. So. Moving into 2019, does the party have the resources to keep open these offices across the state? That's my job, uh, to raise money uh, and to continue to promote um, the importance of Arizona in 2020. Um, we're going to be shrinking down a little and then building up again. Um, we're also going to provide resources to the new legislative district chairs, the new county chairs. Um, we're all going through a reorganization right now. Um, some of it is just knowledge, how to run a state, a, a county party, how to run a legislative district, um, some of the nuts and bolts of management, um, and people building. Those are things that we're going to work on. We'd love to get an inside view of that. I think that behind-the-scenes look is oftentimes uh, one that folks will not get anywhere else except for the Arizona Republic and the Gaggle Podcast.
next, we're talking to Jonathan Lyons. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Listeners just heard from Felicia Rodolini, the chair of the Democratic Party. Jonathan, as you make your case for re-election to run the state Republican Party, what is your pitch to state committeemen? You know, we had a, a good cycle um, as far as the uh, organization of the Arizona Republican Party, uh, the biggest ever kind of ground game or field network that we put into place throughout the state. Uh, with offices opened, and our fundraising was significant. Um, we were up against formidable outside money donors uh, and outspent us significantly. And in choosing to run again, uh, realizing that the election is just around the corner. We've got 14 months until we head into a primary again. Uh, and it's important to prepare the party, to prepare the grassroots, to prepare everyone uh, to go into this uh, with their eyes wide open, uh, knowing that uh, outside money again is going to come into the state that George Soros and Tom Steyer have targeted Arizona. You know, in contrasting us against other states, we did much better than other Western states um, as far as electing and re-electing people. Um, Nationwide, there were 400 uh, legislative seats that were lost in the Republican Party. Uh, we suffered a loss of three, and we are aggressively going to prepare to take those seats back uh, and to be able to up the margins in the legislature again. You also suffered a pretty significant loss with the U.S. Senate race and Martha McSally. What's your assessment of that loss, and how do you come back from it looking ahead again in 2019 and 2020? You know, not all the data is in, so I don't know exactly what has happened in that race. Um, you know, <clears throat> there were a few stories floating around from some of the consultants, um, but I've hired an attorney to go in and do an in-depth analysis for me uh, to be able to present that so that we know exactly uh, where we were spot on and uh, where we missed the mark and what we need to do in order to prepare for 2020. So let me just jump right in. Uh, President Donald Trump seems like he was on the ballot, even if he wasn't formally on the ballot. He wanted it that way. Um, it it feels like, especially when we were looking at the Senate primary, um, that there was this sort of battle for, you know, claiming the biggest share of the Republican Party and that the party may have had difficulty bringing everyone home when you get to the general election. Is that dynamic likely to change in 2020 appreciably, or do you see this continuing war for the soul of the GOP? Uh, I think that that war is always going to be there, right? Um, you're always going to have different contrasting ideas. We're all type A red personalities. Uh, we all want to put uh, our best foot forward, and everybody has lots of great ideas. Um, the president, uh, you know, nationwide is the de facto leader of the Republican Party. Here in Arizona, the governor is the de facto leader of the Republican Party. Uh, and, you know, looking at the governor's race, um, he uh, ran a great race and uh, was able to help other candidates get across the finish line, uh, despite the amount of money that was spent against them. But I think we're always going to see those contrasts in the Republican Party because it's a, a party full of, of uh, people with lots of different ideas. <laughs> In losing the Senate race in 2018, uh, that's powerful. Um, it's also got to be kind of a, a wake-up call, I would imagine, to a lot of folks across the country. Uh, a lot of resources were poured into the Arizona race anyway. Do you think that going into 2020, especially with a presidential year and with another Senate race, do you think that the, the rest of the GOP is going to understand how much more competitive this state is and, and that there will be a fundamentally different approach to the way that the Republican Party approaches 
that race uh, in particular? I believe that it was a wake-up call. A lot of people took it for granted. You know, we're used to being a deep red, ruby red Republican state. Um, you know, we're accustomed to having most of the offices. We've enjoyed a um, a healthy majority in the uh, in the legislature, um, and I think that uh, people took a lot of things for granted as typical, you know, uh, in a midterm, right? Uh, people are complacent. Uh, they're happy with uh, the majority that they've seen um, in other branches of government uh, nationally. Uh, and uh, we need to get ready right now uh, and be able to uh, focus on, again, the uh, voter registration, uh, the fundraising, and to be able to get behind, you know, whoever the governor appoints, uh, should they decide to run in 2020, uh, to be able to uh, put everything that we have behind that person uh, because we know it will be targeted again. Uh, you know, I think that I was outspent somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to $30 million here in the state, uh, and I know that that's going to happen again. So now is the time to get uh, prepared. You know, you can't wait to do that in several months from now. In mid-January, uh, the precinct committee people will cast their votes to decide who they want to lead the state party. So far, Kelly Ward, who was the Republican uh, senatorial candidate and lost during the primary in 2018, she's put her name in the ring. She, in announcing her, her bid, she uh, talked a lot about unity and how she was the or is the person who can unify the party. What is your take on that positioning? I applaud Kelly for wanting to uh, contribute uh, just don't feel like, you know, based upon uh, the support that she has real numbers-wise, um, has the backing of the majority of the Republican Party uh, to be able to put that foot forward um, based upon some of the comments that she made about people running against her. Um, you know, I try to live by Reagan's 11th rule and, and to not speak ill of other Republicans. Um, I just feel like based upon uh, my fundraising and my ability to reach out you know, especially uh, to grow um, the minority communities here in Arizona. Being bilingual, it's extremely critical to be able to have someone that uh, can speak English and Spanish fluently. Um, I'm proud of my record in Yuma, Arizona, where I was the chairman for six years. Um, and President Obama won uh, Yuma County twice. And yet, uh, with work that we focused on uh, within the Hispanic community, um, we were able to turn that around. And President Trump was able to be uh, delivered the entire ticket in Yuma County. And I want to continue to do that statewide. Uh, we have a, a very healthy and robust team of people that have been working uh, to go out and share our ideas of who we are as Republicans and uh, to continue to grow uh, not only registered Republicans, but to be able to grow the precinct committeemen and to be able to grow the state committeemen. We've got uh, over 200 additional uh, precinct committeemen so far, uh, with more waiting to be appointed after the January meeting. The Democrats have really uh, built out an infrastructure with an eye towards 2020, 2022, 2024. I mean, they are they are playing the long game in both resources, bodies. Um, how do you match that kind of operation, and how do you match the type of resources out the sort of outside money that that we saw come in for Democrats and their allies in 2018? Recognizing uh, where we are, what happened. Um, and knowing that, you know, those weren't Arizonans, right? Everything that we did here in Arizona was built upon the backs of Arizonans, people who actually live here uh, and play here and work here and make this their home. You know, like 
Tom Steyer didn't really care about electric rates here in Arizona. He was willing to let those goes up, uh, go up in order to, uh, to accomplish the rest of his, of his selfish ends. Um, and here in Arizona, it's important uh, right now to have Arizonans wake up, Arizona uh, Republicans, Arizona independents who lean right, uh, who uh, enjoy um, and have enjoyed kind of a rebound in our economy. Um, and understand the policies that the governor and the legislature is putting forward um, and kind of what's happening on the national level. I mean, I'm, I've got 11 children. I'm very grateful for the tax cuts, right? Um, putting more money in the pockets. I've got uh, four kids in college right now. That's I, a lot of diaper money, right? I need right? all the help that I can get. Well, none in diapers. <laughs> I need all the help that I can get. But a lot just, of robots it's money. A lot, yeah, exactly. It's, exactly. So I just think that the contrast is, is incredibly important and that people wake up and realize what needs to be done. Uh, I know that that outside money is going to come in again. And most of the people that the Democrats put on the ground were from out of state. I do have to make the point, though, a lot of money that came in on behalf of Martha McSally and split some of these outside groups, that that was out-of-state money sure. as well. Sure. Um, and she was outspent by how many millions of dollars? Um, you know, so uh, she had to look outside of the state as well. But it wasn't just, you know, Tom Steyer uh, deciding that uh, you know, 127 is going down in flames. Now I'm going to help Hobbs and Hoffman. Uh, and that's what happened in many of those races, right? This governor in particular has been especially mindful of tone and, you know, the optics of, of how the state is conducting itself, especially when everyone else is watching. Is that a lesson that you take into, say, a Senate race? Again, where, you know, you had a, a candidate really sort of clinging to the far uh, right side of the party, but, you know, really struggled with some of the, the folks in the middle and even some Republicans uh, who didn't necessarily buy into her campaign. Is the Ducey model uh, sort of something that everyone else should be looking at as they try and run statewide. Absolutely. Uh, governor's motto was masterful in its approach, uh, being able to um, put Red Fred kind of uh, behind and to be able to refocus on the messaging, bringing people together, you know, acknowledging that things are better, but we can still do more um, if we work together. And as uh, an Arizonan, that's imp incredibly important for me. And, you know, he's been an, an exceptional leader as far as our relationship with Mexico uh, in the Arizona-Mexico Commission and making sure that we are a good neighbor. So his, his overall approach has been, I think, uh, one of the best approaches that I've ever seen and a very good model for other candidates to follow. How do you size up where Democrats go from here? I mean, clearly Kirsten Sinema's model was very similar to Ducey's model, and it worked. Do they, how do they play? And yet on the other side, they just don't necessarily have uh, primaries, right? They more uh, anoint, uh, and we believe in the healthy competition. So, Well, that didn't happen in the governor's race. It did not happen in the governor's race, uh, but it did happen in other races. Uh, some people were given a free pass, so, you know, they were able to change their their approach and their modeling, um, you know, months before. Uh, didn't have to worry about a primary. So to be clear on that, though, obviously you have seen Democrats can win statewide. They have at least shown proof of concept but on this. But not running as Democrats. Well, okay. And not identifying as Democrats. So does that mean for you that you need to be mindful of who they are sending up on on their ticket in 2020? And does the Republican Party need to respond to that? Or do you all just need to do your thing and it will work out to your advantage no, if you follow more of the Ducey model? I think it's wise to look at the way the governor ran his campaign, uh, where he came from percentage-wise and, you know, polling-wise early in the campaign to where he ended up just because of his messaging. Um 
acknowledging that we can do more together as Arizonans if we work together and that, you know, we've got a bright future ahead of us. It was interesting as we spoke to a lot of different people throughout the state, everybody acknowledged that the economy was better, that they were feeling better, that uh, consumer confidence was up, but they didn't know who to attribute it to. Um, and and I believe that the governor hit that nail on the head by acknowledging, yeah, you know, this is where we were, this is where we are now, and this is where we could be if we work together. So you were pretty vocal about your concerns and some criticisms of the way um, specifically Maricopa County's elections official uh, Adrian Fontes handled the emergency voting centers and some of the protocols that they used to verify signatures. Was that fair criticism in retrospect? Absolutely. Um, but hiring Stephen Richter is going to give me an exact analysis of the hundreds of complaints that we received. Um, if I was someone to apologize, I don't have an apology, but with the amount of complaints and after having spoken with the Board of Supervisors, you know, he had asked permission to do it. It wasn't granted. Um, and he went ahead and did it anyways. Um, and then it was interesting to see drop on that same day, Kirsten Cinema's piece saying you can show up and vote without, without ID. Um, so we saw a correlation there. Uh, and they were in heavy blue districts. You know, to follow up on that, though, it seems like this is also part of a coordinated effort that we've seen Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, North Carolina in 2016, North Carolina now where we have questions about election administration and fairness of outcomes. Does the Republican Party fear democracy? No, we just fear unjust people being in places and not being as transparent as they should be. All we want is transparency. You know, sunshine cures all, right? Do everything out in the open, um, you know, work within the scope that you've been given. Uh, and if you've been asked to stay within that scope and you go outside of it, then there's a problem. How much do you worry, given what you view as election administration issues in Maricopa County, will be now exported to the rest of the state under a different secretary of state? I worry about the, the spread of dishonest uh, uh, election uh, processes all the time. Uh, I've seen in other counties where they've improved the situation, um, spoken with other recorders, um, and they've weighed in uh, and they disagree with the approach that Adrian has taken. And so having had that information from them makes me a little bit more suspicious, suspicious of his motives um, because he was, you know, more of an activist than anything else. Uh, prior to becoming a recorder. Right. He's on the ballot in 2020 as sure. well. Does that, you know, sort of up the ante in terms of concerns for Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Are you hearing murmurings of efforts to potentially strip uh, the recorder's office of the ability to manage elections? I know that everybody is doing their due diligence to determine what happened, why it happened, um, and to be able to make a good decision, uh, you know, post-processing or post-mortem of that uh, kind of... Uh, in deep investigation into, you know, statute-wise, what people are supposed to be doing. I think that's critical. Uh, and then where we go from there, um, you know, <clears throat> I think it's Im incredibly important for everybody, no matter what party you belong to, to be able to have full faith and confidence in our system, right? Uh, and the fact that it takes us forever uh, to tally up our votes here in Arizona in this day of, of, uh, of uh, great... Uh, apps and uh, technology that it still takes us that long to get through there. 
I've got one final kind of walk-off question for you. And you and I have kind of talked a little bit about it. Uh, you live in Yuma. Sure. You spend quite a bit of time up here in the great state of Maricopa County. <laughs> How do you do it all? You have got 11 kids, a wife, a family, a business. You're chair of a battleground state's Republican Party. Right. How do you do it all? Uh, you know, my wife is extremely committed. Um, and I didn't do this without her uh, full blessing and endorsement, and especially the endorsement of my children. Well, Jonathan, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thanks and, for having uh, me. Happy 2019 in advance. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Yvonne. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. We learned quite a bit about how each of these candidates uh, hopes to move their parties forward. We hope uh, you found it interesting. Check in next Wednesday for part two of our look ahead into 2019. You'll hear from Republic reporters on what we see as the year's uh, defining events politically. And of course, as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can find me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. And you can find me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. This episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley, Taya Francesca Price, and Kayla White. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.